Well, good morning. Thank you. Yeah, as James mentioned, we are uh, headed out uh, of kind of uh, service for just a few months, but we'll be back. So um, be patient. And uh, I know we've got a great team in place. Um, it's always um, good to get some intel from people out there that are watching. You know, we film our services and they're online and you never know who's going to watch it. And Friday night, I was, uh, my, Denise and I were headed down to Temecula for a wedding and we stopped by to see my oldest sister in Corona, Terry. So I'm just saying hi to my sister. And uh, she says she watches us here uh, online and as part of our church. Um, she also mentioned, you don't preach very much. <laughs> I said, I know, we have a lot of great teachers. And, uh, and then I told her I was headed on sabbatical, and, and, uh, and then I'll be back. So uh, we are, and a sabbatical is biblical. It comes back, it goes all the way to Leviticus 29, where um, God promised the Israelites that if you planted for six years and then you allowed the land to rest the seventh, he would actually triple the production so that they would be able to endure uh, a season of rest come back and replant and wait a year for the harvest. I mean, think about that. That what God does in our lives when we are completely controlled by him, overtaken by his um, value system about uh, life and rest, a rhythm of life and rest. So uh, last year was our seventh, you know, we had gone, I've only been on one sabbatical been in ministry over, what, 30-plus years, and never been one place seven years. So I've never had the opportunity to take a seventh year, which is really just three months. Is what we, I don't know how we came up with that. A year sounds better. But uh, we do three months instead of a year. And uh, so this is my second time. So eight years ago, last year, we just said, no, we don't want to do this. And I was really thinking about just, I, I don't need this. This time around, I really don't need to go anywhere. And yet, I, the, as it comes closer this week, I recognize that, um, that God's really in this. That something more is uh, at stake. And it's about finishing well. It's not about burning out. And it's about listening and resting and learning, and something I learned from uh, Chris, uh, uh, or um, Batterson, I forgot his first name, Mark Batterson, wrote The Circle Maker and, on prayer, and he said at a conference once, I'll never forget it, he says, change a pace, change a place, change a perspective. And so oftentimes we have to switch things up to get a new perspective. Jesus often would call his disciples to come away and rest, and so we see that Jesus himself is Lord of the Sabbath. And he, he was the one that continued this idea that well, let's honor God with our lives. And this, this rest is part of it. And so that's what we're doing. And uh, I think it's going to be great. And I'm looking forward to it. As we finish out our parable series, I want to talk about um, something that ties into sabbatical. And that is... Um, this idea that God can use any one of us for great things. And in fact, God wants to use every single one of us for great things. And we may be here this morning and thinking, well, time has gone by. I haven't really seen that. Or 
I wonder if anything will ever change or it's, it's been too long and I'm not sure God can actually resurrect the dead or restore my perspective and restore my energy and give me something from him and, and reinvest that for his glory. The parable we're going to look at is in Luke chapter 16. And so in Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells this very interesting, confusing parable. It's probably one of the most confusing parables of all the parables because it's about an unscrupulous, irresponsible steward who in the midst of this parable is praised. And we wonder, how is that possible? Why would Jesus give an example of someone who is very irresponsible with the resources they were given to oversee and then turn it around and praise them? And I think there's a little bit of all of us in this parable. So the disciples gathered and Jesus gave the parable about this this rich man that had a lot of money and he had this manager that managed it. And it says right away that he squandered his possessions. So um, he misused his, his manager's, his owner's funds. So he, he was unscrupulous, irresponsible. And he called him and said, what is this that I hear about? You give an account of what you have done and how you've managed my money. The manager said to him, what shall I do since my master is taking my manager away? Basically, he's getting fired. I know what I'll do. I'm going to be removed from management. But I, I, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to set it up so that I will be welcomed in the homes of the people in which I lent money to on behalf of the master. He summoned each one of his master's debtors. He began saying to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, 100 measures of oil. He said, quickly, take the bill, sit down, and write 50. Let's negotiate. It's kind of like 50 cents on the dollar. 50 cents is better than a dollar. 50 cents is better than nothing. A dollar is better than 50 cents. But if you can get 50 cents, it sure is a lot better, right? And that was his idea, that if I can't get a dollar back from him, at least I'd maybe be able to get half or a fifth or a portion and I'll win friends and influence enemies. And so he does that. And he takes it, and he finds another who owns 100 measures of wheat. He says, take your bill, write 80. And he does this, and he goes around town, and he negotiates the payoff of all these debts. And then it says, in verse 9, his master praised the unrighteous manager. See, he's still unrighteous. He's still a ding-dong. He's messed up. He's squandered. He's been irresponsible. And yet he's praised because he acted shrewdly. And there's the point of the parable. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their kind than the sons of the light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteous so that when it fails they will receive you into eternal dwellings. He who is faithful in very little things will be faithful in much. He who is unrighteous in very little things is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful 
in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you the riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted and despised. He will despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So Jesus ends the parable describing that your heart can only be one place. So what do we do with this parable? I just have three ideas. But I, before I, I jump into my text, I wanted you to hear an actual true story of a life that truly has been redeemed by the Lord. It's the parable that God can actually restore us no matter what has happened in our lives and turn it around for something good. That you and I have the opportunity of finding out that God actually can use each one of us if we recognize what it is that he's given us and how we can use it for his good. So let's um, listen in to a story. Anthony Vergara, come on up. Anthony's been part of our church for many years. And when I first met Anthony, he had come over from the Martin home. Joseph Hamilton runs an incredible ministry in Los Angeles for men. And you went through this incredible restoration. And I want you to tell your story and kind of what God has been doing in your life um, now at this point in your life. Looking back to what it was like and now looking forward because of Christ. So, Anthony, thanks. And if you don't know Anthony and Anita over there, uh, Anthony's girlfriend, that's, you guys are awesome. You've, you've been part of our church and come from Long Beach and, and uh, drive up here to be part of our community. And so you're very much a part of us. So let us know what's going on. Thank you. Well, my name is Anthony, guys. Uh, it's been an honor and a blessing to be a part of the River community, to be here with you guys and to get to know so many of you guys. Even though I'm terrible with names, I forget, so please extend grace, as James has said in the past. Um, yes, Pastor Todd asked me to share a few words about uh, God's grace, you know, how I've experienced it in my life. And in order for me to get through this, in five minutes, I had to write it down to stay on point. So please forgive me for not engaging. I'm just going to jump right into it. Um, so a quick background that I'm just going to jump into. When I was 18, I was sentenced to a life term in prison for crimes I committed as a young man. Atrocious stuff that I still struggle with to overcome. But the bad behavior didn't stop there. It continued for another 15 years or so. It, I, was, I was existing with no faith in God or anything else and with no hope of ever getting out of prison. Only God's grace gave me then and gives me now hope and strength to move past the shame and the guilt. When God's calls were too difficult to ignore, I made a decision to follow him. It didn't really make day-to-day -day living easier but I now had a purpose and a hope, and I began to learn who I was as a man in Christ. While the Bible is, while the Bible was, and it continues to be my roadmap, 
I think it was crucial to get connected with other like-minded individuals. So I jumped into all the chapel services or any other Christian groups that were available. Because of God's grace, changes were being made in my heart, my attitude, and my behavior. In a, in a, few, short, in a few short years, God made drastic changes in me that became evident in my life to the point that on my first parole hearing, I was granted parole. grace of God freed me from spiritual, mental, and now physical walls. And the day after Christmas 2016, I paroled and I suddenly found myself in a strange world that I last saw as a kid. So what next? God's grace, and only through God's grace, I found me in one of the very few Christian halfway homes here in LA. Located in South LA, the Martin Home helps guys like me find their way in the free world. It's run by an incredible man of God, Joseph Hamilton. And it was there that I first heard of the River Church. At first I was like, it's the river. It's on the beach, but why, why do they call it the river? Strange. But when my, my time came to leave the river, to, to leave the Martin home, I was looking for a place to live, and the only affordable place that had a garage for my truck was here in Torrance. It wasn't an accident, you know, I believe in God. God has a plan. He led me, he prepared a path for me. So I've been attending the river since then, for the last five years or so. And I love it. I love the pastors, the hopelessly relationalness of it, and the teachings about the word and ways of God. Which leads me to this summer's parable teaching. It's been a huge blessing to sit here and listen to the teachings of the parables all summer long that Jesus himself spoke. One of my favorites was the prodigal son because the grace, that unwarranted, undeserved favor that that father showed his returning son, it blows me away. And I can't help but see the similarities. Another favorite of mine is the 8 a.m. versus the 5 p.m. workers. They all received an equal wage according to the landowner's grace. He could have adjusted their pay, but he didn't. Neither does God. And, and truly, I may be a 5 p.m. worker, but I like to consider myself an 8 a.m. worker because this is just the beginning. The grace God has shown me, it can't be measured or contained. He paid all my debts, and his grace continues in my life. In closing, I'd like to share what God is showing me this summer through these teachings of the parables. In the last chapter of Luke, verses 28 and 9, Jesus is walking with these two guys on the road to Emmaus who can't recognize him. As they walked and talked, these two guys begged Jesus to stop and sit with them, and he did. However, Jesus wanted to keep going. The question I ask is, where would he have taken them? That's the question I ask myself today, too. But through his grace, he's taken me so far, but I know it's just the beginning. I don't want to contain it, but let it overflow continually. Um, his grace, while unconditional, it leads me to feel certain responsibilities to be a, a good caretaker of that grace he has shown me. 
But that's that's what I wanted. I just wanted, my main point was just God's grace in my life. You know, I just wanted to share these few words with you today, and uh, just say thank you for welcoming me into the River Community, the River Church. It's been an honor, and it's been a blessing. Well, thank, thank you. you. Thanks, Anthony. It's uh, it is an honor to have somebody like you in our church that. Um, truly has seen the grace of God in their own life and stands here today as a free man asking the question, God, what do you, what can you do with my life? And I think in the parable, there's a big point here, and I want to talk just about what's the main point. There's a parable, there's a point, and there's a new perspective. The parable most certainly is about this unjust steward. He has... um, He's made, him bad, he's made bad investments. He's been careless is what the word says. And we've all made bad investments. We've all made these careless decisions in our lives. And yet what Jesus is drawing us into is not the past but the future. It's not this aeon, it's the next one. There's this You've got to understand the parable from the perspective of eternity. That what Jesus is doing is trying to draw the disciples into this moment where they see that even though we've made mistakes, even though we've made poor decisions, even though possibly we've squandered time and energy and resources on ourselves and other things, there's a future. There's a great future that lies ahead. And how we decide to change from this point will determine the quality of our next life. There is a direct relationship between how it is that you and I steward and manage what God has given us and how we enjoy the blessings of an eternity with him. And sometimes we don't think that way. Sometimes we we think, well, this is my stuff. This is my life. This is my time. I can do what I want with it. And yet the first thing that we see in this passage is the fact there was a rich man, and it's not you. You're not the rich man. You're not the rich woman. You're not the very first person in the parable. You're the second. You're the steward. God is the one who owns everything. It is not yours. It's the place where we all need to start. It's not mine. Everything I have is not mine. There's nothing that's mine. God has given all of it to me to steward for his glory, not for mine. That should change our perspective. And even if we're looking at our our lives midway through, there's still the possibility of turning things around by being shrewd. And that's the point. The parable is simple. The point is God can use any one of us, any one of us, to steward what God has given us, no matter our past, for his glory. To mediate, notice in the passage, to mediate on the behalf of others for God. And so it's not so much just handing over what you have for God. 
It's using what God has given you to mediate between a compassionate God and those that would consider themselves to be debtors. And so the debtors are people in the world that are not in right relationship with God. And the steward recognizes that he or she has that opportunity right now to negotiate on behalf of those that are in debt to bring them into relationship with God. That's what God wants to do with you and I. He wants to use our resources, our time, our energy, our money, the things that we have, our talents, our abilities, to mediate between people that are debtors, in debt, with a compassionate God, and and negotiate that relationship. A mediator. That's exactly who we are. That's the picture we get. Uh, Do you remember the movie Brewster's Millions back in 1985? Great movie. Hilarious. Richard Pryor. The story basically is that um, he discovers, he's a washed out baseball player, and he discovers that he is the heir of $300 million. And this, this, this very wealthy person recognizes that Brewster is, is the only living heir, and he's going to get the $300 million. So he, he plays a kind of a joke on him, and he says, here's the conditions of getting the $300 million. You have 30 days to spend $30 million. And if you can spend $30 million in 30 days, you can't give it away. You can't destroy it. You can't have any assets. You basically have to squander $30 million. It's got to be gone by 30 days. <laughs> and you can't have it. Or you can't have the $300 million. Or the WIMP clause is you get $1 million now. You don't get the 30, 300 million. So you get a million now, or you can try to spend 30 million in 30 days and have nothing left. It's, a, it's, it, it's an interesting scenario. And everyone around him is so angry with him because the, he's not able to tell them that he has to do this. And so he's trying to get rid of $30 million. Bad investments, all sorts of things. And everybody's telling him, John Candy is telling him, these are bad investments. Don't do this. Don't hire that person. Don't waste your money. He takes a very expensive stamp, puts it in an envelope. It's a rare stamp that's worth a lot of money. And he can you do that. And it's a great way to waste some money. And I think we can all relate. Because I think when we look at the condition of our lives... We can often look back and see and wonder how we have spent our time and energy. And have they have been for the right reasons? Have we, have we approached it from the perspective that it's not ours, it's God's? And he's given it to us to be able to give to others. To use it for the benefit of other people. Be shrewd with what God has given you. Uh, I, um, 
I wonder sometimes, you know, now going on a sabbatical and um, 61 years old, and I, I was at a wedding last night. We did two weddings this, this weekend, and last night we went to the L.A. Country Club, and it was a beautiful, beautiful wedding. We sat at this table and under this gorgeous canopy and out on the golf course. It was a beautiful setting, and unbeknownst to me, uh, Mark MacArthur um, was sitting at our table. John MacArthur's son. Well, I grew up under John's teaching, John MacArthur. Several others, Swindoll and several other people that had influenced me as a young person to walk with the Lord and study God's Word. And, and so it was, it was like, wow, I'm getting to meet John MacArthur's son. Wonderful conversation. And as we talked about it, I said, hey, I just want you to know your dad, you know, just was a young person you know, poured into me through his teaching. And here I am, 61, and, you know, I don't know what the rest looks like, but at this point, um, it's been a good, good career looking back in ministry as a result of people that have poured into my life. And he, he turned to me and he says, Todd, this is totally unsolicited. He said, from 65 years of age, to 85 years. My dad's 85 years old now, still working, still ministering, still loving people. He's, you know, married people. He's buried the same people. I mean, he's gone through the gamut with people in his congregation, taught the word. And I, I respect that. I really respect that. And um, he said from that 61 to 85 were the greatest years of his life. And it, it just, it gave me almost a new perspective in that moment, personally, that my best years are ahead of me. And your best years are ahead of you, according to this parable. That what God wants to do is truly amazing. If we allow God to steward what we have on behalf of others, that's the point. I don't know what that's going to look like. But it just gave me new energy not to give up and recognize, well, gosh, it's, you know, we're coming to a close and others are coming in in my place. And no, that's not true at all. I may change my position. Other leaders are coming in. Other pastors, I mean, great things are happening in our church. I'm not going anywhere. But what I'm seeing is this renewed perspective that... Um, God could use even my life in this second half of my life for something great. I uh, knew a man, and he was a great friend. He passed away, and he always come to me and ask me, Todd, Todd, I really feel like I have poorly managed the things that God has given me. And he was really very, very torn up about it and would often tell me how bad he feels and and I would just encourage him the past is the past the decisions we've made in the past are in the past you have an opportunity right now to steward what God has given you and from that point on I just saw a change in his life I just saw him at the end of his life turn around and use what God has given him, his voice, his passion, his renewed love for Christ, to speak to others, to encourage them, 
to negotiate on behalf of debtors with God. You know, as you sit here this morning, you're probably wondering, okay, what does that look like for me? And I got a lot to say. And I, I, I'm not going to go there, but I am going to talk a little bit about this church. I'm proud of this church. Now, 15 years later, I have seen so much growth. I have seen so many new people come into relationship to Christ. I have seen uh, people restored. I, we've seen um, people give their lives to Christ. All because of your faithfulness. Your faithfulness in giving time and also your resources. This church survives and thrives because of you. Not because of me or James or Bill or Luke or Taylor or Kathy or any Amanda or any one of us. Or Denise. It, it survives because and thrives because of your commitment to recognizing in this parable that God wants to turn you into a shrewd manager of his resources. So what's that, what's that going to look like for you into the future? I mean, how, what, what are you going to do with that? I mean, one way is that we often see giving as a response to our the, the love that God has given us, the grace that he has given to us, we often see, and what we need to see in Scripture, is that it's an opportunity for us to give back to the Lord. That's what giving is. And, and we have givers. And, and, and people give to this church, and we, we set a budget, and our budget increases, and we hire staff, and, and it enables us to continue to minister to people in our community, and our families, and our children, our youth. And you're faithful in that. And that's biblical. Because that's being shrewd with what God has given you. But it may be something else. It may be another resource that you have. It may be your time. As Bill mentioned many weeks ago, we've got a youth ministry with these young people. And many of them don't even come to our church. Their families don't even come to our church. And yet we have an opportunity to connect with our young people, junior hires, high schoolers, and maybe that's a way to get involved and say, I want to steward some of my time. I want to give away some of my time and invest it on behalf of someone else. This, this unscrupulous steward who really is medi mediating on behalf of people that aren't in relationship with God and they're desperate, they're in trouble, they're in debt and they'd love to see those debts get removed that maybe we aren't looking in the eyes of the Savior himself. 
And that what Jesus is saying to us is that Jesus himself, the unscrupulous, he is the, the irresponsible steward, not because of himself, but he took that upon himself and mediated between debtors and God. And he would be the only one that, ought, that, that any one of these individuals would have a conversation with about God. Respectability, as Robert Capone says, is out of the question. That Jesus himself died as a criminal. That we see Jesus himself being labeled as this person in society. He's a lawbreaker. He's a rule breaker. And, and, and his life, from the perspective of people, looked a lot like this steward. And yet he was the right kind of person for the job. And he entered in and restored people's relationship with God by mediating between them and God, by canceling debts. And that's the very example that Jesus wants us to follow. And that's our role. So, Father, this morning... we have been um, reminded of the wealth that has been given to us. I think of uh, the resources that um, you have given my family. And I think of um, all the dumb ways that I have spent my money, my time, and yet, Lord, in this moment, the parable seems to redeem all that because I have an opportunity to gain new perspective. And the perspective is, is that God can use even me. So, Father, this morning as we close and we come to communion, we have a chance to come before you in the presence, in your presence as we take of the bread and drink of the cup and be reminded of your sacrifice Maybe as we come, we are thinking now from a different perspective that you in some way are that steward on behalf of us. And you took upon yourself the crumminess of society, the failures of society, the irresponsibility, and you became shrewd for our, for our, on our behalf. And so, Father, um, leave us in this place for a moment, would you? Would you just give us a moment to think about the rest of our lives? I pray, Father, that uh, this would be a moment of opportunity to become shrewd with what you have given us. May you speak to us clearly what that looks like. Time management, financial management, stewardship.
leave us in this place a moment, Father, and just, I pray that you would just dig in deep into our hearts. So let's just sit for a second and respond to the Lord. Just sit for a second, and then uh, I'll invite you to take communion in a second. life and breathe on this heart that is now yours so as Todd mentioned we're going to close off we have the communion elements here the little wafer little we'll call it bread, representing the body of Jesus that was given 
for us. Um, and the grape juice representing the blood of Jesus that was just so open-handedly poured out for us. And it encourages us not just why we are so secure and sure in our relationship with God and in our freedom in Him and that we can truly live in flourishing spiritually and uh, holistically, but also it's an example. It reminds us, like, what am I holding tight-fistedly to in my life? What are the things that I'm like, these are the no-go zones for you, Lord? Or that's too crazy if I just, if I take a turn in my life and move in this direction. It's just too crazy. That's not who I am. And maybe this is a tap on the heart, a tap on your life where God's going, hey, look at my open hand. Follow that. Just do what I'm doing. Open your hand up and see if I don't invite you into things you couldn't imagine and care and love people that desperately need that care and love. So it's not a message of guilt or shame or obligation. It's definitely not a message of give and and, um, pass the plate and lock the doors. It's a message of like open your hands and unlock your life like Jesus showed us how. So the elements are there. If if you'd like to take those, uh, we normally just kind of end with Rachel's going to play some music, connect with one another, enjoy a morning. um, And and Todd, we are praying for you and Denise. Denise will be at the next service, but we, we thank you for following Jesus and opening up your hands with your life and investing in so many of us, me in particular. And, um, and so our hearts go with you. So let's just close off in that fashion. Rachel, thank you again. Thank you again. And you can have it all, Lord. And every part of my world. Take this life and breathe. This heart that is now yours, and you can have it all, Lord. Every part.